Hey everybody, this is episode 130 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas for this intro on a Memorial Day weekend. I am very, very excited to introduce my guest today and we're going to cut straight to it today. Going to get to my interview with the great Emily Sisson who just had her marathon debut in London running a 223 for the second fastest debut marathon ever by an American and now she occupies the seventh fastest time all time for American women in the marathon so she announced herself as one of the favorites for the Olympic trials in Atlanta next February with this result beating her teammate Molly Huddle in the race in London. Molly also had a PR on the day, but Emily's race was just really, really strong. Again, running a 223, running a slight negative split, meaning the second half of that race was faster than the first. So perfectly executed race for her. Of course, she has a strong running resume already, but I believe has often been overshadowed by other American women in the very stacked group of women that are now competing very well at distances from 800 meters all the way to the marathon. Emily maybe isn't one that you know about or is top of mind given the Shalanes of the world and the Emma Coburns and the Ginny Simpsons of the world. And and if you didn't know Emily Sisson's name, you should definitely know it. And I think you'll become a fan after listening to this interview with her. She's just a really solid person and obviously really, really fast. Just to give you some highlights from her resume, she was a four-time state champion, cross-country athlete in high school, a two-time NCAA champion in the 5,000 meters, winning both the indoor and outdoor 5K during her last year at Providence where she was coached by the great Ray Tracy, who also coaches Molly Huddle. And then, of course, as an American athlete in the elite world, she's done very, very well, making a world championship team in 2017. She's also won several U.S. road championships, most recently in the last nine, ten months, has had a really, really stellar run where she finished first in the 5k the u.s 5k champs on the road in new york last november then ran six seconds slower than the american record in the half at houston in january followed that with the third fastest ever 10,000 meter time by an american at stanford in her build to london and then of course ran the 223 in london so not only does she have amazing range but she's beaten some really big names over the last nine or ten months and again was only six seconds behind Molly Huddle's American record in the half marathon. And so the accolades are certainly there, but you'll also find that she's a really cool, calm, down-to-earth person, and I think you'll enjoy this interview with her. So with that as a quick intro, let's chat with Emily Sisson. Welcome, Emily Sisson, to the show. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I heard you had a little challenge with your workout today, finding a track in Phoenix. <laughs> what what um, was that all about? Oh, I, th- I don't know. I think it's not just in Phoenix, but um, 
I was talking to a friend all over the U.S. I feel like lately it's harder and harder to find um, trucks open to the public. Um, and uh, I guess we were spoiled when we were in Providence. We just used our college's truck for working out. Um, but yeah, here it's been a little bit more of a challenge, but we, we figured it out. So we got we got the workout in. <laughs> what, where were you that who and who kicked you off? Do they not know who you are? No, it's more like it's like a like the uh, maintenance crew was on working on it and they like locked the gates and um, it's just I, I think schools are getting a little bit more strict about it, um, which makes sense. Right. It's like um, it's like security issues. And I think one of the tracks might have been vandalized or something um, like the previous year because we had no problems like a year ago. And I don't know what changed because like I had multiple tracks I could go to for workouts. And now I'm like, I just need one. <laughs> just need to find one (laughs) but yeah so we figured it out we got it in so um yeah so it worked out fine and you mentioned before you came on that this was your first track workout back post london and you're racing the new york mini 10k the u.s 10k road championships here in a couple of weeks is that right that's coming up pretty quick here um, so I feel like we're just building back into it and then I'm racing again in two weeks. So, um, it's kind of funny. We're just kind of going to like see how it goes, but, um, but I'm excited to get back racing. I like took a bit of a break after London. Um, and I'm one of those runners that I actually, like, I love like my breaks for like four or five yeah. days. Like I know some runners are like, Oh no, like I don't want to take one. I'm like, I'll take one. I'll enjoy my four or five <laughs> days. Like I worked really hard. I'm going to enjoy it. But then after like four or five days, I'm like, no, like, I really want to get back running now. Like part of the great thing of having a break for me is like by the end of it or even four or five days in, I'm like, I really want to get back running. It kind of ignites that fire again in me. And I'm just like super motivated getting into the next, um, I guess like uh, work phase or whatever. So we're kind of just building back into it now. Yeah. Nice. So let's go back though. We'll come back around to post marathon recovery a little later, but Let's talk about your history in the sport. It's funny. Your name actually came up on my last podcast or episode 128. With I was talking to David Epstein. Okay. He has a new book out called Range, which is basically the science of generalization versus specialization and how a lot of the best athletes and contributors in our world actually come from generalist backgrounds versus specialist backgrounds. And I was listening to the Carrie Tollefson podcast and you talked about how, yeah, you started early, relatively early in your running career, but you were also doing a lot of different things as well, including soccer. So talk about your origins in the sport. Yeah, no, I did actually start pretty young. I'd say I was probably like 12 or 13 when I got into track. Um, and my dad was almost, cause he, my dad was the runner in the family. My mom was a gymnast and he was almost a little wary of me getting into running so young. Cause he's like, I was a runner. I know, um, it's a great sport, but it can be quite intense at times. So um, he was like, he, him and my mom really encouraged my sisters and I from a young age just to do all like different sports, just try everything, just do it, like find like the joy and like of, of um, doing everything you want to try every different sport. Um, so when I first got into running, they were like, well, keep playing soccer, keep doing the things you want to do, like your other interests, because you're so young, you don't need to just pick one sport. Um, but then, um, I really liked it. So I kind of just been running since then ran competitively through high school and college and now even, um, but yeah, I know I loved, um, I pretty much tried every sport there was when I was a kid and I was pretty bad at most of them, but (laughs) I did enjoy them and soccer was my like all time favorite, but, um, but I did enjoy like trying everything really. 
when did you start playing soccer? Oh, I was really young. I was probably like seven or eight, maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. yeah probably around that age. Yeah. And how, and how long did you play until you just focused on running? Yeah, probably until I was like 14 or 15, maybe. So um, like when I went into high school, I decided just to stick to running because it would, I think, I can't remember if my high school had a rule, you could only play one sport per season or something. Um, and I wanted to do cross country in the fall and track in the spring. So um, I decided just to stick with running, but um, I played soccer for like seven or eight years or something. Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah I, I, played at a, I played at a young age as well. And I always tell people now that that was the best aerobic development yeah, it was that great. place that I could have, you know, <laughs> yeah. on a soccer field at that age. Yeah, you're just running around, especially if you played in the midfield, which I feel like most runners I know that played soccer were midfielders, and you're just running back and forth like all over the place. Um, yeah, no, it's a great workout. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. we were talking a little bit before you came on about being a soccer fan. Your husband Shane is Irish. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you guys are watching a little bit of Premier League here and there. But how? Um, and how do you experience soccer now? Yeah, no, I was a huge fan when I was younger. Like that was like my dream was to go to like to college on like a soccer scholarship. Like um, my like uh, idol was Mia Hamm growing up. I like my dad brought me to like a Women's World Cup game when I was really young. Um, I just was a huge fan of the sport. And um, now I'm not like like as like diehard of a fan, but I still follow it. And like my husband already always has like the Premier League on in our house and he's a big Arsenal fan and he's gone into like our local soccer team and we've gone to a couple games. So, um, I still love following it. Um, I'm, I'm not as into it as I was obviously when I was a kid, but I still really like it. So. Yeah. I wanted to give a shameless plug for the U S women competing in the world cup coming up soon. June 7th, I think is the first game in France. France plays, I believe it's South Korea on the seventh. And then the U S has their first game. June 11th against Thailand. And so for us fans, check that out. Do you, do you follow the national team at all? We were going to follow the world cup. I don't follow it as closely as like probably the diehard fans, but we were going to follow the world cup. We were talking about it yesterday. We were like, well, what day does it start? Cause we want to be watching it, but um, no, we're pretty excited. You must be really excited since you're going. I'm I'm very (laughs) excited. I'm going to France to see, to see well the semis and the finals so fingers crossed that the u.s make it that far but i'm i am a diehard and and i was mentioning to you before and i want to mention to the fans as well that there's a great podcast out called throwback by grant wall his last name is spelled w-a-h-l that that takes us back to the 1991 women's world cup which is the very first one and the U.S. actually won that one. You went to the 99 World Cup. Anyway, it's a great history on women's soccer, women in sport, and some of the challenges that they went through rising up in a sport that was dominated by men. And just like in running, there was a lot of countries where soccer was actually banned because it was deemed to be unsafe for women, which is crazy, just just like running was back in the day. And so... It's a pretty cool, pretty cool story. Yeah, it sounds really fascinating. But you were a fan of Mia Hamm yeah. growing up. Saw her, I would assume, in the 99 World Cup. Yeah, I'm what? trying to... I remember the game. I remember being there because I was like seven <laughs> years old. So I was pretty yeah. young at the time. Um, 
I'm pretty sure she played, but I'm not not positive because she, I think they were playing Nigeria, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Like, I don't remember the specifics, but I remember the atmosphere. I remember being there with my dad and my friends and, like, um, just, like, loving it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd have to look up that game, actually, to, like. Yeah. What did yeah. you What did you learn as of watching somebody like that as a, as a kid? Um, I think I just was really inspired and like, um, just from seeing such like a, a, like a, such a talented, like female athlete that I could look up to as a kid. Um, cause yeah, I, I'm amazed actually you said 1991 was the first women's world cup, but, um, I guess that kind of makes sense wise, but, um, timeline wise, but, um, no, just having like a strong, like female, like, um, I guess like athlete to look up to for me was pretty incredible and I like um it got me really excited about playing sports and wanting to do well and being competitive like from such a young age like um even I remember like being competitive in uh what did we what do you call that the PE thing every school does the presidential fitness award yes. did you do that or yes. Kid, yes. yeah no, I remember I got really competitive doing that and I kind of got made fun of from some of the boys because I um I beat them in like whatever the mile or whatever we ran. I think it was a mile. And apparently that wasn't cool. And I was like, well, I don't care. Like I've got I like think having someone like that to kind of look up to um, as a, from such a young age was a, probably a pretty positive thing. I was just looking it up. The U.S. played in Nigeria in Chicago, Soldier yeah, Field. That was it, they, Chicago. They yeah. won seven to one, and yeah. <laughs> Mia Hamm scored in the twentieth minute. Okay. Wow. So there you go. Sixty-five thousand people watched that game. Yeah, I remember being there. We still, have, my dad still has the tickets. Um, yeah, it was him and like a couple of my like soccer friends and their like dads. Um, we all went, and it was yeah, it was a blast. I still remember it. <laughs> That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. Did did you look up to any women runners at that time? No, I wasn't into running then. I didn't get into running until I guess like twelve what or thirteen, but even then, not like. What was your first running idol? Who or who was your first running um, idol? I'm trying to think. I guess I would have been in high school, so I probably looked up to people like definitely my <laughs> current teammate Molly. Um, I yeah. remember meeting her at Foot Locker when I was. 15 or whatever um so i definitely looked up to her a lot and um like the Shlane flanagans and Kara gouchers of the running world she were like always looked up to them um and then as i got older now um it, it's like it, it's just so funny how uh i can like look back in high school and be like oh molly was someone i really look, looked up to and now she's like someone i train with um just funny how things work out i guess what's that like Going from idol to teammate <laughs> to somebody you're competing with. Yeah, it was it was a funny transition, but it was a slow transition. So, because um, even in college, I remember just seeing her around because, like, my coach coached her. Um, so occasionally we'd see her like using the track or something. But, um, but yeah, no, I remember when I graduated and like we started running together. Like, uh, intimidating uh, intimidating is the wrong word because Molly's not like intimidating she's very like um open and like um like just like kind person to like run with um but i was intimidated to her i don't know emily she can be intimidating well yeah but once you know her it's like i guess maybe if you yeah i don't know i I found (laughs) like her intimidating to work out with definitely right 
right. she was just so far above me workout wise. So, and you didn't, but you, and you didn't beat her in a race till this year at Stanford in the 10 K. And then of yeah. course, again at London, how has that been like going from seeing oh, yeah. this as somebody who, you know, is an idol who seem is seemingly unbeatable at US <laughs> championships um, to, to running away from her on the track at Stanford. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was slow. Like when I first graduated, <laughs> I was like terrified of jumping in her workouts. So Ray would do like, and I honestly just wasn't fit enough to do anything like what she was doing. So I think if she had like mile repeats, I would do like 1500 meters of them or something like that. And then like slowly over time, I started being able to do her workouts, but I was like kind of hanging on for dear life. <laughs> and then like after like another year or so, then I was like, we'd show up to the track some days and I'd be like, okay, let me lead some of these. Like I got like, like slowly gained some confidence um, and just like slowly got fitter, like over time. Um, And then, yeah, no, I just been like very gradual, but um, yeah, no, she working out with her gave me a lot of confidence as well. So that kind of helped um, kind of push me along, I guess. But it does seem like there's a little bit of a mental shift of, saying okay this person is a mentor who i really respect and i'm learning a lot from to giving yourself permission to beat her right i mean that there's a little yeah. bit of a mental switch there i think yeah i suppose but i guess because like i said it was so gradual over time it didn't really register as being like this big change to me because mm-hmm. Um, going from like not being able to do her workouts to doing them, but finding them so hard to like, not as hard to like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit better today. So I'll leave more of the workout. Molly, you like sit on my shoulder. Not that that normally happens for track workouts. Um, she's usually stronger on the track. Um, I'm I'm a bit stronger, uh, tempo, like with tempo work, but still Mm -hmm. like I, I slowly just gained confidence over time. And then, um, yeah. And then the race, the races we did together, it just, I don't know. It never really felt like there was this big switch to me or big change, I guess. So what, when you look at her as an athlete, what do you try to emulate? Um, I really like, there's a few things. I I guess uh, I went from also like looking up to her to like trying to learn from her, which is what I was doing. I feel like the first few years um, is like, well, what she's doing is clearly working. She's very successful. um, So kind of seeing how she handles herself. Um, and I really like how she's very tough, yet also pretty humble. Um, I feel like she, a lot of people probably don't realize how hard she works. I know at this level, everyone has to work hard, but um, but like I think sometimes people assume, oh, things must go perfectly for them because like she's running so well or something. Um, and I've seen like firsthand things not go well. like getting sick at the wrong time or just having like a little niggle pop up when we're over in Europe or something like that. Um, and seeing how she handles it. And then she never really gives those excuses. Even if she has an off day, there's no, like, there's no pity party. There's no nothing. She's just very like humble, whether, um, she runs really well or has something go wrong. Um, and I really like that about her, how she's like such a tough, like gritty worker, but then she doesn't, isn't out there giving like excuses or, um, being like, well, I could have run faster if this didn't happen. You know, she's just very, um, humble. And I like that a lot. What advice did she have for you for the marathon? Um, she gave me a bit of advice over the buildup. I remember during the race thinking of something she said to me 
because we were racing in London. And I think before the race, she was like, just so you know, like um, in London, it's pretty common to be like out, like totally on your own for a good chunk of the race. So like, um, don't like panic or like go too fast too early on when that happens, just kind of like be prepared that might happen. Um, and don't get sucked into running, like I think faster than what yeah. you're meant to. So I remember thinking that when there was this big break at half a mile, um, and I, we were just all totally on our own. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's go back though. One thing that's interesting to me about your career is that you moved to the roads pretty early. You know, you won both the indoor and outdoor, outdoor 5Ks at, at Providence your last year there. But you were doing road championships as a junior, which, I don't know, in my experience is a little bit unusual. And then obviously continue that after you graduated and then have had a really successful road career since. What was behind that thinking? Um, I remember doing road races my fifth year in college I'm pretty sure so yeah I guess I did do them pretty young um I think I like had that season off like I was redshirting my cross-country season so my coach was like we'll just throw you in some road races um I kind of just like fell in love with it because I never had done a road race before and it was something new to me because I'd only ever done track races so I actually really enjoyed them and I felt like I had done pretty well at the ones um he had thrown me in so um even now I get really excited um not that I don't get excited for track races, but I can get really excited for road races. Um, something about them. I don't know. I just really enjoy it. Have you had a favorite road race so far? Road race. I've had a lot of really cool experiences. Um, I think the New York road Roadrunners do a really good job putting on their races. Um, and so running there always feels pretty special. Um, and I love those ones where you're running through Central Park or get to run through Times Square. So those have been pretty special. Um, yeah, the yeah, 5K you won special. last yeah. fall. <laughs> yeah, the 5K. That was an all I loved that one. Yeah. And then the two New York halves I've done. Um, London, I'd have to say, is probably my favorite because that's the most recent <laughs> one and I really enjoyed it. But, yes, yes, um, as, it, as it should be. Yeah. But apart from that, I think the New York Roadrunner races, I always enjoy those. Those are really fun. So... You, you decided to move to the marathon at 27. Molly actually didn't move to the marathon until she was 32. What was behind that decision-making? Is that you making that call or is Ray also saying, hey, Emily, I think you should go try this? Yeah, I mean, Ray and I kind of just talked together and we weren't like super pressed to do it. Like we weren't like, oh, we have to do it right now. But we're like, well, going into 2020, um, you've shown you've done well on the roads, especially at the longer distances. So like, why don't we just try one this spring, see how it goes. And then we, it gives you the option to run that in the trials. Or if not, if it's not the right time, like just go back to the 10K um, and try to make that team. So it was more like a timing thing. <laughs> but um, but no, I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad um, having done my first one now, I feel like hopefully if I can stay healthy, um, hopefully have many more years of uh marathons and road racing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it went pretty it went pretty well i think that's an understatement (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about your preparation what what were the big shifts for you going from training for 10k on the track to shifting into marathon training i honestly thought it was going to be a much bigger shift than it was like Mm -hmm. um i almost wanted to like 
I remember a couple years ago when the marathon came up, I was like, oh no, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> that's like, that's way too much. Um, and I thought it would be this huge, um, like, I don't know. I, I was like really curious how my body was going to respond to it. Um, but I was really pleasantly surprised because I think the training is very different um, in that, not very different, but it's different in that we're on the track less. And since I feel like I'm naturally a bit better at tempo work, um, it kind of favored me a bit. So I actually felt a little bit better than I thought I would increasing my mileage and just doing less track work. So um, I still got on the track once probably every like week to 10 or 12 days, but um, which I do think it was really important for me. And I'm glad that my coach did that. Um, but I just wasn't getting on the track like twice a week, like I used to. So um, I think that really worked for me. I felt actually better doing it that way than running 90 miles a week and doing two yeah. workouts. And you, you did bump your overall volume. It seems like I was reading you were at yeah. 90 before and maybe jumped into the, the 110 range, 115 yeah. range. 110 to 115, I'd say is probably average. It's kind of hard to add it up because our like schedule isn't a seven day schedule, the 12 day schedule. Um, and we have an easy day after every 12 days or something like that. Um, and then that easy day can totally throw off your weekly mileage. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> right, right. Sometimes I, I normally don't count the easy day cause I will count up and like till it. And then I'll take like the average, um, because it's just such an outlier, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so when you say, when you say easy day, what does that mean? It's like five or six miles. So like you could have a week where the easy day doesn't fall in it and you could have your mileage be like, 122 or something but then if the easy day falls in it then it's like i don't know right it's like 108 or something it's like it's a it's a big difference so um so yeah it's it but i do like having the easy day i always felt like it was really good to reset and recharge for like the next 12 days or whatever it was 10 days um so. do you have off days like complete off days as well or no no the easy day was like pretty good if i ever felt like i needed an off day i could have taken it but luckily in that build up um I don't think I ever needed to take one. I think I had to take an extra easy day once, but that was it. So you're running every day and I would assume you're having other recovery days. They're just not five or six miles, right? Within right. those 10 to 12 day cycles. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have, we recover like three days in between workouts or something like that. Um, so what does a recovery day look like? Um, it's either a medium long run or a double. So like I run once in the morning and once in the evening. And total volume on that kind of a day? So I think my medium long run was anywhere from like 14 miles to like 16 or something. Um, and then maybe 17. Um, and then my like uh, double days, I would probably do like, I think 10 and four or 10 and five. Um, I did a couple of like 12 yeah. and fours, but only two of those. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah. Something like that. What? And I was listening again to the Kerry Tollefson podcast. You said you went up to 22 mile, 22 mile long runs, which yeah. is, is a lot, right? When you're moving up in distance, but you know, as you said in that podcast, it's not the whole distance you're covering. So that's a little strange. Yeah. That's really strange to me. <laughs> Still. Yeah, and as, as I coach adult athletes who are doing the same thing, we might do 22 miles. Sometimes we'll do 24, but never 
typically 26 and they always ask that same question. Well, why, how is this possible? How can I cover 26 if I'm only running 22? How did you wrap your head around that? Yeah, no, I think I did 23 once, but 22 is my regular long run. Um, and yeah, no, it was so, I remember thinking that was so strange because I've never done a race before where I haven't run that distance in practice. Um, and even in the race, like it hit me at one point, I'm like, I have like, this is the furthest I've ever run. (laughs) Um, but I mean, we were nearly on our feet, like for the same amount of time we were in London for those long runs, I think. Um, so I, I I think that's what Ray said when I brought that up to him, I was like, Ray, I've never (laughs) run that distance. And he's like, on your feet for nearly that long. So, um, so I think that's, and he was right. I think like that training worked out pretty well. Um. Like I felt pretty good doing it and um, felt like we never were overreaching. So um, yeah, no, but it was definitely weird to me. And I remember saying that to my husband. I'm like, I've never run this distance before (laughs) Um, and finding that so strange. But then I was like, well, whatever. (laughs) It is, it is weird though, having been there myself a long time ago when I debuted in the marathon to think I'm going to go with further than I've ever gone before. You know, it's sort of yeah. the unknown. You don't know what's yeah. going to happen yeah. on the other side of that. No, exactly. That's like the, like, it's just, a, it was just a big mystery before. Um, and I remember people kept asking me before the race, they're like, are you nervous? Like, what are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm more just really curious like right. how all this like works. Um, like, I think my tempos were like 12 miles and I'd feel really good doing them, but I'm like, I have to more than double that for the race. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm feeling good. I feel fit. But like, it just, the whole thing was such a mystery to me. So what, let's talk about your supplemental work in training. What else do you do? to stay healthy and did that change at all during the marathon cycle? Um, I didn't switch anything up during the marathon cycle, but I did get into like a, having a strength um, training routine, like I think in 2017, 2018. Um, okay. Other Like before that, I never had touched like a weight. <laughs> um, so uh, so I, I think that actually helps a ton. Um, and it's not to get like, I don't think like I'm strength training to get faster. I'm strength training to like work on my weaknesses and get, like a little more durable and that will like hopefully make you faster (laughs) because if you break down less, um, that's what'll help. But, um, I do that like twice a week or twice or like almost, I guess every day I work out, um, I'll do some gym work after. Is that with weights or more body weight type stuff? Uh, Most of it's body weight, but then I do, um, I do like I squat and then I use kettlebells, um, for like single leg RDLs. Um, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. Um, I have a TRX I use. Um, yeah. So I, most of it is, I guess, body weight work, but, um, then I do a few heavier things, but not too much. So let's talk about the race itself. You know, yeah. spoiler alert, you ran 223, second fastest debut ever by an American behind only Jordan Hesse. And technically, if you're talking about record eligible courses, it will be the fastest debut. So it went well, but it didn't go to plan because the leaders had a different idea. So talk about how it played out for you. Yeah, it was, um, it, it didn't go according to plan, I guess, exactly. Um, we actually were hoping to run a bit faster, but like, I remember thinking before the race, if like the weather's not cooperating or the race doesn't go well, I feel like anything in that low 220 range, I'd be happy with. Um, and, uh, I remember we were taking the bus over to the race and Molly's like, it's really windy out. And I'm like, 
Uh, but it's like always windy in like England. So <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm, right. like the race. Like everyone always runs fast here. <laughs> um, and then like she was right. It was really windy that race. So um, I think that must have been why the leaders didn't go with their pacer. But um, the lead group was meant to have a pacer, I think, at like 217 pace or something. Um, and that was obviously too fast for us. So Molly and I had like decided to be part of like a self-paced group with like two other Japanese runners. And so we were going to go out, um, like, I think, yeah, we wanted to go out faster than we did, um, by a bit. And, but during the race, when the lead group didn't go with their pacer, then just totally let them go. And they slow down to slower than what we wanted to run. Um, we're like, well, we're not going to like try to leave <laughs> these women. <laughs> so right. like hit the pace we want to run. Um, cause I don't want to like go out there on my own and then like get re- like, um, reeled back in and then like die or something so um yeah yeah, we had to adjust and it was um it was good practice we're just like your plan not going how you wanted to go and then the water stations were crazy (laughs) because it was a ton of us so um gotta practice that like trying to take my bottle like amongst like a ton of women trying to take theirs um so uh no it was good practice and then like i actually felt better i feel like that second half when we were like picking it up a little bit um like when it did open up but um, but it did feel harder that second half um, after a while because I think we were just all spread out and I was totally on my own for the last 13 miles. So um, that's when I like felt like I could notice the wind more. <laughs> and and um, even when I crossed the finish line, I ran into my husband right away. And I was like, my first thing I said to him, I was like, that was weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, like, I've never run a race before where you like are solo for 13 miles. <laughs> and he was like yeah. excited and <laughs> he came up to me and I'm just like, I don't know how to like process that. That was so strange. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, no, so it didn't go exactly how we wanted it to go, but, um, but I was really happy with it in the end. Yeah. And it's not just running 13 miles by yourself. It's running 13 miles on closed streets in London yeah. you know, through one of the biggest cities in the world. So, and by all these crazy landmarks. So it's, it's also just a cool venue to do that. Yeah. But oh, finishing in front of the palace was pretty cool. I remember when I saw the finish line. I don't even think I registered the palace because I was like, the finish line, it's just there. We're so close. <laughs> yeah. But... So when you're with that lead pack at the beginning with, I mean, basically the who's who of, of world major champions yeah. and, and Mary Keitani and, and the whole bunch. I mean, that is, is that intimidating at all? It seemed to me like I, if it were me, I would have freaked out completely. Um, no, I, I don't think I freaked out because I felt comfortable running the pace we were running. And it just was like in my head, I'm like, well, they didn't want to go with their pacer. Eventually they're going to pick it up. But like, I was just thinking, okay, tuck in, like try to be blocked from the wind. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I knew like, because we were going at a pace I felt comfortable with, I wasn't intimidated, but I was more just like, um, I guess I was a little amazed that they were running, um, back with us, but, um, but no, not, not too intimidated. You seem pretty much calm and collected all the time. (laughs) Anytime I've seen you interviewed, I mean, even after London, after running this amazing race, you're just pretty calm and matter of fact about it. Where does that come from? Oh, well, thank you. My, my mom is really calm. So I do <laughs> hope like to sometimes pick things like that up. up her, uh, uh, sorry. Ugh. I try to kind of emulate her sometimes with that, but I do have my moments. Like I'm not always, <laughs> always calm. I asked my husband right before the race, like, 
I don't know, I had, I had like a little trip and a little scare, like before we got to the starting line and I was not calm. <laughs> so, um, I think, but then I, when I practice, um, like I do uh, practice like breathing techniques sometimes and like some mindfulness stuff. So I feel like that kind of helps center me, um, especially in moments where I'm um, overwhelmed by something. Um, so thank you. <laughs> but um, yeah. uh, I try to be, but definitely not all the time. I definitely have things that can get me, trip me up sometimes. So you ran a little faster on the second half doing it solo. What was going through your mind? Um, I think, oh, this is one thing Molly told me before the race. Actually, this is what was going through my mind. Um, she was like, just, just think about the next water bottle. Like, just like, mm. that's like the only thing you should be thinking about. <laughs> and um, like when it seems like, like you have so far to go, she's like, just like break it down into like five Ks. And that was so much more manageable. <laughs> so um, the last 13 miles when I was on my own, I, I think I reeled in like two or three girls maybe. Um, so whenever I saw someone that was like incentive to kind of pick it up and like focus, um, like kind of focus on my form and things like that. But then I would also break it um, up into water bottles. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I've got a water bottle in like two miles or like I've got like um, my caffeine gel or whatever in like 5k so that'll give me like a little boost yeah. um, like something yeah. like that um i so i actually was probably just thinking about like staying composed um like trying to stay within myself because it was my first one i didn't want to be pushing too hard um and then i just thought about the next water bottle <laughs> yeah was there a point when it got harder for you or was it pretty smooth over that back half? Um, I remember at 24 being like, okay, I'm ready to be done now, but I felt pretty good up until then. Um, and even when I got re like pretty tired at 24, I don't think I slowed down as much as I thought I was going to. I think, um, I don't think I ever looked at the splits, but I remember at 24 getting pretty tired and being like, okay, like two miles left, you can do it. But like, <laughs> I was getting pretty tired then. Um, but no, I felt pretty, I felt pretty good. So I think that's really positive. That's a positive takeaway. So obviously it went well. Are you, do you think of yourself as a marathoner now? I do. Yeah. <laughs> it took a few days to <laughs> sink in. And then um, I was talking to my sister and she's like, you're a marathoner. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I am. <laughs> like, I was yeah. them as this like group of people that like, um, I don't know, like I just never really would have considered myself having accomplished anything like close to that in distance wise I've only done half marathons so um to me it was just that whole big mystery we talked about um and yeah it's like oh yeah I'm a marathoner I guess <laughs> I've done one so <laughs> but I, I am getting back to the track and doing some shorter stuff so I'm still yeah run on the track yeah well you'll you're good at both so you might as well keep doing both but have you thought yet about what the next one would be and and will that be february the trials yeah that's the plan is um atlanta 2020 um i'll do that and then um and then i want to hopefully like coming out of, if i can hopefully come out of that marathon well um which will be hard because <laughs> it's going to be hilly yeah. and hot um i'd like to come back and run the 10k at the trials too and then um yeah just to hopefully give myself two shots at making the team i guess one thing that's crazy to me as I look back at your last nine months or so is is your range. You you know you win the US 5K champs in New York, and then you go run a half, finishing six seconds off an American record in Houston. Then you run the third fastest 10K ever by an American at Stanford, building up to London, 
And then you run the second fastest debut at 223, seventh fastest American female ever in the marathon. So from 5K to marathon, you've had a pretty damn impressive year. <laughs> what, what do you attribute that range to? I think it's a few things. I think one, I've got a really good coach um, and I really like his approach. And I thought his training for London was like perfect. Um, I, there are a few things I asked him if I could like do differently the next time but they were really small things nothing like um major because I honestly I never felt that tired during marathon training I kept waiting for that to hit um but I never felt like the workload was too much I always felt pretty comfortable so I think because I wasn't totally like uh, zapping like um the speed out of my legs I felt like pretty good doing a 10k in the build-up um my like mileage just wasn't that as high as some other marathoners maybe but um, so I think having a really good coach helped, um, helps a lot with that. Um, I've been able to stay healthy for, um, a really long extended period of time. Um, I've got a really good chiropractor here in Phoenix, John Ball, who's like helped me a ton, um, work on like my weaknesses and kind of address things that needed to be addressing. And so he helped a lot. And also like, I've, I honestly, I was telling my husband this today. I feel like having like his support with like all of my workouts the last nine months has really like I knew it would help, but I didn't know it was going to help this much. Like, it's amazing. Like, um, how much, like I've improved since he started, um, helping me out on like workout days and long runs, like, um, just having his support and having every workout pretty much be individualized to like, um, my, like my needs, I guess. Like, um, I think that's been a huge part of it. So when is Shane going to run his marathon then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because he did like all the work. I mean, all the work. He did like a lot of it. He did like a like maybe he did a lot of my workouts, like um, and he did not he wouldn't do the like all the mileage um or the long runs, but he did a ton of work and then but he didn't actually like get a race. And I remember afterwards he was like just as tired as I was, and I'm like, well, you went through the whole thing too. and yeah so now that's been it's worked out so well because he's been um he like wanted to go back to school for another degree so he's been able to do that online um and he like took a step back from working to help me out which has been just like um really helpful um really thankful he did that so um yeah it's worked out yeah that support support system is critical yeah it is Let's talk about your points there. I want I want to go back to talking about Ray, your coach, coached you in college at Providence, now coaches you and Molly. Obviously one of the great distance coaches in the country. What have you learned from him? Um, I, I'm trying to think. I've learned so much. It's hard to yeah. like just yeah. put it in like a nutshell. Uh, I'm just, I feel like he's just always been like really into the like um, long, like kind of like conservative approach to running. So even from like my college days, um, like we never upped my mileage that fast that soon. Or like, um, he was always, he was always like a big, he's always been like the big picture type coach. So, um, and I think that gives me a lot of perspective, especially when, um, I don't know if I have something like flare up and I need to like take a couple of days easy or something, or I get sick at the wrong time, like I can get really annoyed, but then, um, if I just take a step back and kind of look at what are like, like think, okay, what are your big goals for this year? And kind of can like refocus and um, I don't know, kind of can take some of like the panic away of having to take a couple days off or something. Um, so he's always been really like, um, I guess that big picture type 
coach and like conservative and just trying to, um, I guess, maximize your career uh, and try to get like longevity, I guess, um, out of it. How do you, how did your dynamic work with him? You know, trust is obviously important. And so when you're, you know, like you said, there's a couple things you would tweak about this cycle for next cycle. How did how do those conversations go? What's that dialogue like? Yeah, no, it's a pretty good dialogue because I think um, he knows like I trust him and his approach. So like I normally like never really question anything, um, but then he's like open for like um, like I'll call him after most of my workouts because he's obviously in Providence and I'm here, and so. Um, I like give him feedback that way on things like how I felt and things like that. I mean, he's the one that makes all the calls and I normally don't ever um, think about switching anything up because what he's done has worked for me. <laughs> so, but I remember after London, I was like, Hey, like, what do you think of this? Like, what, like, do you think I could do like slightly longer long runs for the next one? Like, I think that's the one thing I brought up. Um, uh, or Yeah. I think that was the one thing I asked him about and he'd be like, well, um, either like, yeah, it's a good idea. Like you did so well with, um, this training or like, no, like, let's keep it at this. This is the reason I do it. This, and he'll explain like why, um, like why my water was kept at 23 miles and like the reasoning behind that to me. Um, he's like, well, you were pretty fresh, um, like running a 10 K off this training. So clearly, um, you never were like, I don't know. He just explains why he does things to me. And I think having that dialogue is really important. And especially because we're not in the same part of the country right now, I'll be back in Providence next month, I think, or July, and that'll make it easier. But um, like having, I feel like the conversations like weekly with my workouts and stuff has been pretty key. You talked about the long view and also being consistent and staying healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had a little bit of an issue, I want to say, last summer before USA's and the 10K, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah, it was a bit banged up that summer, and I uh, kind of tried racing USA's anyway, and it just was not fit. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, that's when I kind of got uh, um, the chiropractor I saw here. Like, I was, I just like got his opinion. I'm like, what do I need to work on um, to like strengthen whatever is causing this issue? Um, and so I've been trying to really work on like my weaknesses pretty much since then. Um, And that's, I think been really helpful. Um, There's always areas you can improve on, um, but kind of picking the things that are most um, like pertinent to you, I guess. Um, And not just looking at what other runners do and like this, uh, like strength room or something, because that might be different than what I need. Um, I think that's been pretty, pretty helpful. What else do you attribute to that long-term consistency in the sport? Um, I guess keeping it fun. Um, that's pretty big because I feel like, uh, I, I guess I can only speak for myself, but like there are times, um, throughout like my career, I guess a lot, like even when I was in college, there'd be times I'd feel really tired and just needing like, um, after like a long season, I found like having a break of like, even if it was only like a week of running every other day, like I found that pretty, um, helpful in keeping that like fire alive or like running with teammates or running with friends, like whatever it is that you need, um, keeping it enjoyable because I think that'll, um, keep you running for longer. Um, if you're enjoying what you're doing. So let's go back to the aftermath of London. What did Molly say when she saw you after crossing the line? Um, I don't remember exactly what we said to each other, but, um, but she, like was just really, um, I guess really like kind. She was like, that was a really good run. I hope like 
um like you ran really well I hope that like can sink in even though it like I feel like she didn't have the day obviously um she would have liked and I know she was um in better shape and um fitness wise she was like better than that performance um but she was still like a really gracious like um it's just who she is as a person she was just uh very like good job like that's always how she's been she's always like really genuine when she sees someone else run really well she's like wow that was a good performance like I'm happy for that person it's not like um it's not there's nothing fake about it she's very genuine and I like that she doesn't see someone else run well and then is like oh well what is that um like I'm trying to word this right I feel like I'm fumbling here (laughs) she's not jealous no that's the word she's not jealous she if she sees someone else run well she won't be jealous or like envious she might um be more motivated or something but never that way she's very um like like a very genuine competitor and I really like that about her as well yeah I mean she's still figuring out the marathon I guess in a sense it's it's too bad that she didn't have it come together there in London but she's still got a PR which is awesome and the Olympic standard it is hard with the marathon. There are so many variables trying to get them all right on one day. Um, like I honestly, that was my biggest, like, uh, con- not concern, but the thing I thought I would dislike the most about the marathon going into it. And even after the marathon, it's still the thing I dislike the most, how you like forego all these other races and just pass up on them, um, to like, and you train so hard for three months and then anything could happen. You could like get sick or eat like a funny, I don't know, a piece of chicken or something. I don't know. Um, like the night before and like anything can happen and you can't just go run another marathon in like a week or two. So, right. um, that's probably my least favorite part about the marathon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or it can be 35 degrees and 25 mile an hour winds and raining. Like it was for her last year in Boston, unfortunately. No, it was like weather no one's ever seen before. And there's like, <laughs> like, I, this is like once in a lifetime type thing. Like we're probably never going to see this again. Um, like people like last year didn't even know how to dress for that. Molly was saying like, they thought they were overdressing and yeah. everyone ended up underdressing. It was just something was- knowing. They don't make clothes for that, those conditions. <laughs> always something unexpected with the marathon, I feel like. Um, something, I don't know, I feel like that was kind of my, like, biggest lesson throughout that whole build-up and race. I'm like, there's always something you didn't think about that, like, just comes out of nowhere. So, um, but yeah, I feel like um, practicing that and being flexible with, like, whatever is thrown your way, like, and just doing the best you can, like, um, it's probably the biggest, like, takeaway. <laughs> And then after London, I think you went to Spain, if I am correct, on stalking your Instagram. How was that? It was so nice. Yeah. Um, My so my husband and I were talking about doing a trip and then he so he went home to Ireland actually before um, the marathon and then met me in London. And so then afterwards, like we were gone for so long, we were just going to go back. And then I was like, well, actually going to reach out to my mom and see if she wants to take a vacation. Um, and she's always wanted to go to Spain. So I'm glad we got to do that. Um, I actually thought that was, cause I've never done anything like that with my mom before, just like taking like a, a trip with her and I really enjoyed it. Um, I like wish I had put a little more planning into it, but it, the marathon was obviously my biggest, um, like the reason we were going over there. So, um, once, once we got to Spain, I was like, well, what should we do? And we actually had a great time just like walking around and try, like the food was amazing. Like the food and the, the wine were the best part. I feel like, um, 
so just kind of like getting to experience uh spain and um yeah I, it was fun just doing that with my mom was where did you go in spain um we went to seville and barcelona so nice pretty different cities so we kind of got to experience two different parts of yeah. spain yeah yeah barcelona is more much more modern yeah seville no. is more traditional yeah, exactly. So Seville, like, um, we loved that we got the traditional, um, like, taste of Spain, I guess. And it was, and it was so funny, because we didn't realize, like, I know, um, like, I've heard of a siesta before, but I didn't right. realize, like, everyone's yeah. still that. And, like, during the afternoon, like, everything's closed, and you're like, well, like, I get, what, what's everyone doing? I guess, like, <laughs> <laughs> do we just go back and nap, go nap. <laughs> and then I found these like beautiful gardens in Seville and I was like oh we should definitely go there like um they actually I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones but they shot like part of um Game of Thrones there okay. and so I like, talked my mom into it I was like we should go to these gardens they're so pretty <laughs> and then we show up and there's like the biggest line I've ever seen of like Game of Thrones fans like <laughs> four hour long wait oh my god like, I was amazed. It's not even like their tourist season. Like it was like we saw like almost no other tourists when we were there. Yet there was this like four hour line at, at like um I think it was called Alcazar or something. Um I don't know if you're Game of Thrones fans, it's where like the city of Dorne is. Um, okay. Built. But it was, it was so funny to me how nice. like yeah that um so if I had planned ahead, I would have bought tickets or something. But um, yeah, I was in I was in Croatia last fall yeah. and. And well, I guess it was late summer, early fall, and it was that everywhere. It's like Game of Thrones oh, yeah. tour, of, you know, like, <laughs> oh, crazy. Sure. That's where like King's Landing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't, and we didn't actually go there, but but we just saw the like the tourism hub, hubbub about it everywhere. And there yeah. was all of that evidence. So, did you watch the finale? Are you are you caught up? No, yeah, we're caught up. My husband and I watched it. It definitely wasn't what we expected. So, um, but did you watch it? Are you a Game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, we watched it, <laughs> and yeah, it. So, without spoiling for anybody who hasn't, what 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 was your take? Did you like it? Not like it? I didn't love it, and like we're not that like we're pretty easy to please people. We don't need yeah. like like crazy storyline. Um, like when everyone else is complaining about season eight, we're like, well, we're still enjoying it, but it did finale kind of disappointing. Um, just because I think they were trying to do something totally unpredictable, but then it just didn't make sense. (laughs) Like I feel like it didn't fit with the, or maybe it did make sense, but they just didn't, um, do a great job. Um, like playing it out on the show, but, um, I didn't like how like the key, like female, um, roles also kind of, um, I don't know how they decide those, but um, but yeah. So we I guess we were a little disappointed, <laughs> but um, but it was still such a, a fun like uh, series to watch. Yeah, I'm with you. I was disappointed too, and it just it was weird to me the time they spent on something like Tyrion climbing down into the the crypts to see his dead brother and sister that whole scene with him getting the torch and walking out, I mean, that took forever. And then in less time than that, they decided who was going to be King yeah, and how that was going to be decided. So that just is a kind of a weird pacing. And yeah, as you said, weird storytelling that didn't quite make sense yeah. given the, the plot history. Of it or something. And I don't know. I don't know, but 
yeah, the, also the key like female like the lead roles that kind of like didn't. I think we like everyone expected it to be like a queen or something, or at least like right. I don't know if it was a king, and it wasn't really. Um, really yeah, <laughs> yeah, there were some wasted characters. I feel like in the end, so I I, I agree with you. I think yeah. I, speaking of TV, I think I saw somewhere that you're a Netflix or Netflix is your guilty pleasure. Oh, yeah. Netflix and like reading. I feel like that's what I do like when I'm marathon training and I can't um, like, I mean, I have to rest during the day when I'm running. Right. Like I if I was doing like a 12 and four or five double or something, like I need to rest like in between those. I can't really do too much. Um, so uh, yeah, Netflix and reading were like my two like guilty, but not really that guilty of pleasure. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, I need to rest anyway. So. You're, you're, it's really, it's work, right? You're working yeah. on recovery. Like, so <laughs> give, give me some Netflix favorites from recent history. Oh, we watched so many. Okay. Recent history, Big Little Lies. Um, that's not mm. Netflix actually, but that's really good. Yeah. Um, there was a show. What did we just watch last week? Um, oh, I forget what it was called. It was similar to Big Little Lies, though. Um, it's on Netflix. It's really big right now. Oh, I can't remember it. Oh, Dead to Me. That's what it was. It was really good. Um, Dead to Me. Um, Dead, oh, Dead to Me is the one with Christina Applegate? Yeah, it's with her. Yeah, that one's yeah, good. Yeah, it's um, okay. My wife, my wife is watching that one. I'm not up to speed yet. Uh, that one's pretty good. Yeah. Um, we watch... Actually, we have Hulu, we have like HBO Go, we've got like Netflix, um, Amazon Prime. We watch all the all the streaming things. I know we have every we have everything. Okay, then so that that shows. And what about books? Books. Okay, so I kind of go back and forth between what have I read recently? Um, I just started Michelle Obama's book. That was really good. Mm-hmm. That's been good so far. Um, I, I go from like serious ones to like the um like the big little lies like genre of books which would just be like um the dramas of like they're always like the predictable plots like someone dies like there's a murder like (laughs) um there's some like drama in some small town um so i go back and forth between like those kind of books (laughs) so yeah um i'm I'm trying to think off the top of my head what would be my like uh like a good recommendation i'll have to I'll have to think about it. I go through so many of them. I actually like forget. <laughs> well, if you like, if you like nonfiction, I would suggest the book range, which I talked about at yeah, the beginning. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. coming out, coming like out next that. week. David Epstein. He also wrote the sports gene. I don't know if you've ever read that really, really good book. Yeah. I actually started that one. <laughs> um, so, so let's go back to running really quick. So your next marathon will be Atlanta 2020. Yeah at the trials on february 29th leap day that's oh, a very different course than london yeah no it's very different um it's so going how to are you be thinking about um to us i haven't really thought that i'm not a person that usually thinks that far ahead i'm always like focused on like the race i'm like running or the one i'm preparing for um but at the same time i have thought a bit about it and it, it is hilly so i do want to practice running on hills because in phoenix it's very flat um and I don't know I feel like I'm, I'm not like scared of the hills I think it's just going to make it a totally different race um because I am a strong runner I feel like for the most part like I feel like my strength is my strength so I just need to kind of work on running hills and practicing and preparing for those but um but New York half has always been really hilly and I've always found those courses to be pretty fun um 
Yeah, no, it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting because from what I'm hearing from everyone, it just sounds really tough and I kind of want to see it in person. So I'll probably take a trip there at some point just to check it out. Um, But I think just like preparing for it by maybe practicing running some hills and like um, going up to Flagstaff and going places I can do like hilly long runs will help. Um, And then, yeah, I think just like not psyching myself out because everyone has to do it. Um, it, yeah, I find it interesting because usually I try to, um, pick like a, a course that like mimics or similar to the Olympic course. And I think the Tokyo one's actually like pretty flat, um, right. it might be pretty turny, but, um, I, it doesn't look hilly at all from what I saw. So I did find that interesting. They chose to run it there. Like, I feel like they usually pick somewhere like that weather wise is pretty similar and like course wise is similar, but, um, I guess. Yeah, not this time, I guess. Maybe the weather. That's weather weather could be similar because I, I know yeah. it's going to be hot in Tokyo and Atlanta. Right. Atlanta could be hot right. as well. Yeah. But it'll be easy. But you're, I mean, now having just run this 223, I mean, you're already probably a, a favorite to potentially win, certainly to make the team. How are you thinking about embracing that role as a as a potential favorite here? thought about that because it's still my mind is pretty far off I feel like I have so much work to do before then um so I honestly I feel like you can't really pick favorites this far out anyway because (laughs) so much can happen like people can have breakthroughs or people I don't know um could go through like I don't know like a rough patch or something um so I I feel like you still can't pick favorites this far out so um, I'm just focusing on trying to like um, like stay healthy and just keep, um, hopefully like have a good solid, like tracks. Well, I'd like to get back on the track. So I'd like to have a few good track races. Um, and then just like, uh, preparing more, um, for 2020. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Will you, I assume you'll aspire to make the world team this year. Will that be in the plans for the summer? That's the goal. So, um, I'm hoping like I come off this marathon feeling pretty good. Like, um, I've only like two workouts back, so I haven't been back running that long. So I'm hoping, um, it keeps going well. And yeah, cause I'd love, I'd love to make that team. Um, that's like my next goal. So, uh, yeah, we'll just see how training and everything goes. The Olympics. That's obviously the goal for next year. You'll try in the marathon. You'll try in the 10 K Yes. What what does the Olympics mean to you and what would it be like you think making that team? Oh, I mean I I'd love to make the Olympic team. I wanted like in 2016 I remember um like really hoping um to make that team and I was like injured that year and just not fit. Um and like being like pretty like pretty sad I remember after um for like two days and then I was fine mm-hmm. um because I always give myself like I'm like oh you can feel like down about a race for like a day or 24 hours but then you got to like pick up and move on <laughs> um and but then I don't know I feel like back then I was so much younger um I just felt this need to like like almost like to prove to myself like oh like you have to make this team um like uh or else like I don't know, like it's going to be terrible if you don't make it or something. I don't know. I'm four years younger, so, um, or three years younger, I guess. But now I'm like, I really want to make that team because I really like, um, like want to prepare, but I'm like that with every team. I really want to make Doha. (laughs) Like, um, I just, I set goals for myself and now I just want to like do my best to try to achieve them. But I don't have this like fear, I suppose, that I had back then of like, um, failing and not making it. Now I'm just like really like motivated and I'm like, well, I want to see like what I can get out of myself, but um, I feel like I'm more 
positive um like emotions like uh motivating me right now so you've got the mini 10k coming up on june 8th if i'm getting my dates right what else is coming up before the u.s champs um i i think i'm doing peach tree so that one so i can go to atlanta actually (laughs) i forgot about that when we were talking about it nice um so yeah uh, possibly peach tree um and i think that'd be it so and then just u.s champs uh yeah i'll get back to providence to hopefully train in july um to get ready for that so everything's like um like in the air right now but that this is like my tentative racing schedule Awesome. Well, we will be cheering for you thank along you. the way and hoping hoping you make both of those teams, Doha, as well as Tokyo. So thank you, yeah. Emily. Congrats again on your marathon debut. This has been a lot of fun chatting with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. There you go. Emily Sisson, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation and got to know her a little bit as she is definitely someone to watch over the next year building to Tokyo. I think she's someone who could make not only the marathon team, but the 10K team as well and potentially compete in two events at Tokyo, depending on how that schedule plays out. So thank you, Emily. Thank you also to you, the audience, for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.